Yeah, um, that's, a, that's an introduction and a half. What is sexology you're all saying? It's got the word sex in it. Okay, it's the science and research of sexuality, okay, which includes sex, but doesn't only involve sex, okay. And I studied that as, as a result of the fact that I met too many or I dealt with too many young people that were so confused about their sexuality. And I for too long had tried to um, say, just recite a scripture and it will go away. And that was not going to happen. And so I studied it and in the process just saw so much of God's word in the research, in the science. And that's what makes it so beautiful and so exciting, is that actually scripture and, and science come together. And there's nothing new under the sun, we're told in Ecclesiastes. And so no matter of what the sexuality um, world we live in, which is very hypersexualized at the moment, but you know, in Jesus's time and in times before that, it was pretty bad and maybe worse, okay? Um, so there's nothing new under the sun, but um, God has answers. And um, it is weird coming up here after this amazing time of worship, <laughs> especially to talk about this topic, but it's not as well, because sexuality is all about being intimate. It's all about being close. It's all about saying, you my one and only, and nothing else comes between me and you. That's what real, real intimacy is about. And that's what we did this evening. And I, I you know, I, it's, yeah, if we can just get that, that is such a gift for us to remember. Um, so, Tonight, I'm talking about singleness and sexuality. I know there are married couples here, but that's okay. Um, single people, I just want to say I celebrate you. I really do. Um, and I mean that. Um, because I think we, we live in a church culture that really undermines single people. And when they get a bit older, we're saying, uh-oh, what's happening here? Is it going to be in the next year or two? And is there someone on the scene? Um, and Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7. I'm not going to read it, but I will paraphrase it. And he says, don't get married. Really don't. Because when you get married, you've got, you, you've got divided focus, man. Right? If you stay unmarried, then you can focus on the kingdom. You can focus on what God has for you. You can focus on what, what needs to be happening in the church and in the world. But he says it's only for those who are called to it. Because there are those that actually can't cope with it. And so maybe he's saying that we're lesser beings if we have to get married. But anyway, let's go move on from that. All right, but I really want to say that in my counseling, I think a lot of the time, many of the issues that I counsel are because of a poor understanding of the beauty of being single. It's a beautiful thing 
because you can focus with more intention. You don't have babies crying. You don't have nappies to change. You can sleep through the night, okay? You don't even have to make sure that your wife is feeling okay today, <laughs> all right? I know I, I'm perfect. My wife, Jen, doesn't have to. We've been married 33 years. We have two children and, two, and one and a half grandchildren, no, one in, one in six, ninths, <laughs> okay? And it's beautiful to be married, but there are times where, man, we think, you'd be nice just to be free of it, hey? <laughs> okay. But I'm not saying don't get married. <laughs> so in order to really understand this whole issue of singleness, I want to give you a whole lot of things. And I've heard in, Cape, in Joburg, sorry, that you're really clever. So... Okay, and so you're going to get a barrage of information tonight. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, are you ready? Okay, because there's going to be a lot coming, all right? So we're going to be looking at biblical worldviews around sex and sexuality that we can relate to singleness. And right at the end, we're going to be very practical, so don't worry about it. Okay, it's going to get there. All right, so we're going to... Switch it on, Andre. There we go. Okay, we're going to skip that one. All right, we're going to go to straight, straight to sexuality. What is sexuality? It's a big term, okay? And I need you to understand this because we need to know what sexuality is in order to understand that sex and sexuality is not only about marriage, okay? And Paul writes about it in Thessalonians because he was in this place called Thessalonica, which is in Greece. And there were so many gods being worshipped, Aphrodite and all those kinds of things. If you went to the temple of Aphrodite, there were over a thousand prostitutes waiting for you because they knew that if you had sex with the prostitutes, they had your heart. They knew. The dark world understands the power of sex. But anyway, so he's speaking to these young believers and he says to them, hey guys, if you want to actually grow close to God, then you're going to have to, each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. Okay, this is so key. We need to learn to control our body. We've got to know it. We've got to understand it, all right, so that we don't fall into pagan practices, all right? And yin, they are hectic. You've got to see what those practices involve. But then the other thing, which is so, so important, is that we do not inadvertently that's by mistake, hurt our brother or sister. And we have one of the highest rates of gender-based violence in the, in, in the world. Okay? And so an understanding of sexuality and really going to God on it and saying, I need to know my body so I can help somebody else know their body that is beautiful and created by God and needs to actually be kept holy can actually change a whole systemic problem, okay? So what we're talking about is huge, 
the implications of it are huge, okay? So sexuality, and I've got a diagram there. I'm not even going to go through it. All I'm wanting you to realize is that we need to, as people, whether we are married or not, learn to understand our body, not only our physical being, but yes, we do need to understand that. But the way we think and feel, we need to be able to start understanding and being aware and self-aware before we try to change anybody else. We need to learn that. And that's whether we are married or not, and especially, I think, if we are single. I want to talk about covenant because covenant is a beautiful thing. Anybody heard about covenant before? Some of you. Okay. There are seven covenants in the Bible. All right? And the first one was made in Eden between God and um, Adam and Eve. All right? A covenant is a promise that God actually establishes and he, ma and he makes it with mankind. And it's a, a wonderful promise that actually has a whole lot of boundaries in it that are not to take away the joy and pleasure of life, but they're actually there to fulfill the joy and pleasure of living in God's incredible plan for our lives, okay? A covenant is a gift that God gave man, and he made it with Adam and Eve at the beginning, then they did what they did, then he made it with the Israelites, and then they did what they did, and then he realized the only way that I'm going to be able to show my people that I love them with a covenant love that I actually want to instill on this earth is by sending my son, Jesus Christ. So covenant is a huge thing. It is something that God instituted, and it's something that God empowers us to fulfill. We can't fulfill covenant without God. It is something that extends beyond time. Right, And it's an unconditional promise between us and an incredibly loving Father. And in this covenant, God actually says to us, you are so precious to me, and I have ways in which you can live to see miracles happen wherever you go. That's this covenant that God has for us. And he made it with Adam and Eve right at the beginning. And he said, you, you know, first he made all of the stars and all those kinds of things and um, the ocean and the sea and whatever it was. And then he made Adam. And he said to Adam, you know what? I'm going to let you go and you must go and um, name, give a name to all of the animals. Man, that must have been quite a job, eh? And then he saw that Adam wasn't doing that too well because he was a lonely, um, glum, horrible man. Okay, and then he made Eve, all right, because he said that it's not good for Adam to be alone. I'm going there. Okay, it's not good for Adam to be alone. So he actually made Eve so that Adam could have a counterpart and somebody to complete him so that he wasn't glum, he could actually be joyful, all right? Remember that Eve was made so that Adam could be completed, 
All right? You go into the scripture there, it says they're complementary for him. Eve was made so that Adam could be completed. That's complementary. All right? So woman was made for man to be completed and for man not to be stupid. Okay? Because a bunch of men together are stupid. If they're together too long. All right? But then, you know, women... When they're together for too long, okay, they need man, all right? Man and woman complete each other, and it's so important that we see that. There's not one above the other. You're just there to complete each other. Now, Eve was not made for Adam to have sex. Eve was not made for Adam to get married, all right? So whether we are married or not, we need the opposite sex to complete us. And we've, you know, we've got so many agendas around, you know, feminism and equality and all these kinds of things. And it's a misinterpretation of why Adam and Eve were created. Okay. So God made Adam and Eve, and he, he made a covenant with them. He said, you know what? You have access to this whole incredible garden. And it must have been pretty amazing, all those animals. and I mean, it must have been incredible. But he said, as part of my covenant, you cannot eat from that tree. All right? So God, yes, as part of his covenant, there are boundaries to keep us safe. It says, as part of my covenant, I give you the choice. That's because he loves us. But I say, please do not eat of that tree. And Amanda, Adam and Eve did not realize this beautiful gift of covenant that was theirs if they didn't eat of that tree. And heck, they ate of the tree. And it was all women's fault, wasn't it? Ooh. Okay, they had that fight, didn't they? Okay, they had that fight. All right? So now Adam and Eve, we told that before this happens, they're walking around in the garden and they are naked. Isn't that so cool? Walking around naked and they meet with God in the night, in the evening, in the, it says in the early evening, you know, when the sun's going down and, you know, it must be so amazing. And so if they are naked, is God naked? Uh-oh. And if God is naked and he is man and woman, what genitals? Anyway, okay, but you get the deal here. In this place of covenant, there is this beautiful place of being naked and no shame no shame but it's within a beautiful boundary of covenant them and adam and adam and eve you know they they think ah you know maybe there's more so they go and eat of the tree okay and straight away you know before that there was no shame there was no guilt Hey, wouldn't it be lovely to live life without having shame or guilt? Okay, but all of a sudden, they have shame and guilt. So, no, that's the wrong way. I'm going to tell you a story 
And it's called the Victorious Secret. Because it's all about nakedness. Okay. Right, so we have Adam and Eve. They go and they do what they do. And the first thing that happens, the first thing that they are shameful about is their nakedness. Okay? Right? And they run and they hide, you know, and God comes out. He says, where are you, Adam? As if he didn't know. But anyway, they were not exposed to God anymore. They had hidden. All right? And then they go and they pick fig leaves. Have you seen fig leaves? They've got little hairs on one side. All right? And they pick these fig leaves and they sew them up and they put them on. Okay, so imagine this. And it must have been so itchy. All right? And God sees this. All right? He knows what they've done, and it hurts his heart so badly. It hurts his heart so badly. And he sees that they've tried to make an option to cover their nakedness. And so he kills and slaughters the first beast for one thing only, to cover nakedness. Right? That's how incredibly precious nakedness is. Right? So, here we've got the lamb that was slaughtered. Okay? It's a bit of a foreshadow, isn't it? We don't know if it was a lamb. We've got a lamb there. Okay. All right? So, the lamb or something was slaughtered so that there could be a covering. Then we go on to Ezekiel 44, 17 to 19. Now, does anybody like um, um, pageantry and the and royals and the monarchy? And oh, on a bit, I'm alone. Okay, so I just love the fact that there is incredible music that comes with it all. All right, and there's incredible symbolism. And you know, yesterday when Charles, I only saw it last night late, when Charles was invested as the leader of the church, what they do is they actually hid him and they took off all of his robes so he only had a very thin linen um, shirt on with his pants, don't worry, okay? And then they anointed him. They anointed his breast, that's why they hid it, and they anointed his head and his hands. Okay, and I think one of the most amazing moments for me was when they took, and, and what they do is they actually put a, a cage around him, but not a cage, but anyway, something around him so that nobody sees it. But when they take it away, you see him so naked. There is just such a sense of, you know, with with all of this dignity and kingship and Greatness. He's just a man. So anyway, when we go to Ezekiel 44, it speaks about undergarments. Really? And the undergarments are of the priests. The priests had to wear special undergarments when they went into the Holy of Holies. And the undergarments could not be made out of wool because then they would sweat and they'd stink. I don't, but anyway, I think that's why, right? They had to be made of pure linen. 
And so when they went in and they met with God, they came out. And you know what? There was an instruction that those clothes, and especially the undergarments, needed to be put somewhere safe so that nobody would touch them lest they were infected with the holiness of what happened in the holy place, most holy place, right? So basically, if they touched those undergarments, they would have died because nobody was holy enough. Isn't that weird? Undergarments, right? But I think just again, it's highlighting the fact that our nakedness is something so, so precious. All right, then we go to Psalm 22, and Paul is actually prophesying of what's going to happen to Jesus. And he dies on the cross, and he actually prophesies that, and we sang so much about it tonight. He died on the cross naked. You don't see that picture anywhere. He didn't have a loincloth on. He was completely naked. And what happened was that they took his undergarments. They took his other clothes, but they, it also says they took his undergarments and they threw lots for them. How shameful. And it also says those undergarments were priestly undergarments. They were made out of linen. So here we have Jesus on the cross completely naked, on a hill at a time of huge festivities. And the road from Jericho to other places came past. And here you have the Son of God, completely naked, with it all showing. And what was he doing in that moment? He was sharing the fact that we can reinstate holiness to our nakedness and that is huge guys but that's how important nakedness is so why am i speaking about this and, and you know singleness because it actually has huge implications for how we treat our bodies and other people's bodies okay it also has huge implications for what we look at in terms of porn and in terms of sexting and what goes on in our natural world around us. We've lost the incredible meaning and the beauty of nakedness. Okay, I'm going to say more about that. Let's move on. We go to Ham. This isn't a covenant as such. All right, but Ham, he planted some vineyards, got lots of them in Cape Town, okay? And he made wine, and it must have been wine with a very high alcohol content. And he got terribly drunk. And he eventually found himself in his tent. And he was lying there, and my word, something must have looked really bad, but anyway, he was lying there naked. And his youngest son, Ham, walked in, saw his dad, and he ran out. And he found Shem and Japheth, his brothers. <laughs> you know. Okay. Now, their response was pretty hectic. They decided they would take a cloak 
and hold it up behind them like it is there, walking backwards and cover their dad. So, yeah, that's good. Good on you. Covered dad. But it must have been as a result of what Ham had said. And it must have been quite shocking in terms of what Ham had seen. So now Ham, not Ham, Noah wakes up, comes out of his stupor, finds out the story. And what does he do? He curses Ham for what he did concerning his nakedness. He says, you will be the servants and your generations to come will only serve and they will be slaves. And Japheth and Shem, because they covered his nakedness, they are going to be the rulers and Ham's tribe would always serve them. Wow, that's quite hectic. All because of nakedness. And because of what he did with the nakedness. Okay, so we will walk around and we will see people naked. Okay, and we mustn't go around saying, oh, we've got to be holy and we don't look. You know, we can't look. Go to the gym and buy for some reason we see someone naked and it's not like we've got to say, oh, woe is me, I'm going to be a slave and all that. No. The issue was not what Ham saw, it was what he did with what he saw. You get it? It was what he did with what he saw. He gloated and he mocked. Right? Now think about it. What happened with Jesus? His undergarments were gloated over, they were mocked, and they were actually then had lots cast for them. All right? So our nakedness is so, so important, but it's not a matter of not seeing nakedness, it's what we do with it. Okay, and we'll go into more of that just now. Who would have thought nakedness is so important to God? All right? But it actually affects so much of our lives and how we live. The next thing I just want to say is that, you know, in the whole sexuality deal, we need to have covenant friends that are actually going to look after us. And we need to be a covenant friend for somebody else. And there was David and Jonathan. Now, in 2 Samuel 1, 26. David and Jonathan make a covenant, but it's a friendship covenant. It's like a blood brother covenant, okay? Um, this has been misinterpreted by many people in the agenda, saying that because they had a love that was supposedly deeper than that between a man and a woman, that they actually had sex. But that's not true. Remember that all covenants have to build upon each other. The first covenant in the Bible said that sex was to be heterosexual between a man and woman. It was to be monogamous, right? And it was to be holy, all right? So when we go to David and Jonathan's covenant that they're making, it's built upon all the other covenants, and there are a whole lot. So you've got the Edenic covenant, then the Abrahamic, then the Mosaic, and then the Davidic, and now we've got a friendship covenant that has been made between two men. And what did they do? They exchanged.
exchanged their robes. So Justin, can you come here, please? Justin is Jonathan, I'm David, because, you know, Justin is so beautiful. He's an amazing prince, okay? He is just incredible. And he is wearing the cloak of a prince, okay? And I'm David, and I've got my cloak of a shepherd, all right? And when they actually made covenant, they switched their cloaks, okay? So I got Jonathan's cloak. So when I walk around, I don't only have my shepherd cloak, I now have the prince's cloak, all right? And Jonathan now carries David's cloak, all right? Now, what is that all about? When we make covenant, we carry each other's authority. And we are making sure that they use their authority in a healthy way. Okay? And if they don't, we can give them a good clap. All right? Because they're not only carrying their authority, they're also carrying mine. All right? So that is the beauty of these relationships we need to help us with our sexuality. The next thing they did was they exchanged belts. Okay? And on their belts were weapons. All right? So I would take um, Jonathan's belt. Jonathan would take David's belt. Now, what does that mean? Well, the belt keeps up the underpants. All right? And it carries the weapons, which are our gifts and our talents. And part of our gifts and our talents are our genitals. Okay? So, I am going to make sure that Jonathan keeps his belt up and that those genitals are used in the right way. Because if they aren't, I'm going to give him such a clap. Okay? Because not only does he have his belt, he's got mine as well. Okay? Similarly with me. All right? Then it's not only what our genitals are, are as a gift, but also, obviously, the other gifts that we have. Okay? This is a beautiful interchange. Then what they would have done is they would have made a can of rocks. Okay, that's a lump, a whole bunch of rocks top of each other, which was a memorial. So that whenever we walked past it, we'd say, yeah, I've got his belt. I've got his authority. He's got mine. Okay? We've got to remember this. And we're going to make times where we remember this. Okay? All right? And what does that really, in, in modern days? Okay, that's memories. That's photographs. Okay? Um, but good photographs. <laughs> All right? We remember things. When you get married, it's a ring. Okay? And the greatest memory, or maybe the greatest memory, I mustn't say that, is a child becomes a memorial, a reminder of the covenant that has happened. Okay. So then lastly, there was blood that was shed as well. Remember that every covenant that happened, we saw that in, the, uh, in Eden, included blood being shed. So thank you so much, Jonathan. All right, I'm going to check up on you. All right. But you, know, you have to check up on me. What am I saying, folks? We need covenant relationships in our lives, okay? 
And we need to realize what we are actually doing and doing for each other. And I want to say, we need to be careful who we make them with. Don't find, don't, don't say you, you're making covenant relationships and somebody's going to help you with your sexuality, with somebody who is just not a believer, couldn't really be bothered. That's not helpful. So I'd really encourage you to find somebody that's maybe a bit, a bit older. Okay, I don't know if Jonathan and David, if there was an age difference, but anyway, it doesn't matter. But find somebody that is a bit older that can carry your authority and help you to live it in a healthy way. That can make sure your, your pants are up. <laughs> that can make sure that you are using your, your, your tools or your weapons in the right way. Okay? So, all of these things are building into how do we live as singles with a sexuality? Right. So now we're moving from the Bible, folks. Okay. I'm sorry. This is a church, but we're allowed to do this. All right. One thing we have to realize is that when we become um, pubescents, and most of you are probably ending puberty, although it only really dies down completely at around 20. Okay, we've, we are starting to experience the normal sexual cycle. Now look at this. It starts with desire, then it goes to excitement, then it goes to plateau, then orgasm. Yes, I said orgasm in church. Okay, orgasm, then resolution. Okay, all right. So that is the normal sexual cycle. All right. Now, why am I telling you this? Not just so that I can freak you out or I don't know. I'm telling you this because of the hormonal interchanges that are happening there. Okay, desire actually doesn't really have hormones. It's got a whole lot of hormones, but there's not one specific one. But when it comes to excitement, all right, you have the release of adrenaline. Okay? So we all know that when we get excited about a friend, Okay, or we have a romantic attachment, our heart goes. Okay, that's adrenaline. That's adrenaline, and that's part of romance. And that's good. But if you stay in that stage all the time, you're going to die. Okay, so adrenaline is released during excitement. Then plateau happens, and during plateau, you have the release of endorphins. Okay, now endorphins, remember dolphins, they always smile. Okay, they have the feel-good hormones. Okay, they make you feel completely invincible. Oh, you are just feeling so powerful. All right, then you go to orgasm, and when you have orgasm, and ejaculation is often linked to orgasm, right, you have the release of oxytocin in women and vasopressin in men. Now, those two hormones are really, really important. They are called attachment hormones. They cause you to attach to whatever it is you are having orgasm with. Oh. They're very powerful hormones, but they are terrible distinguishers of what you are attaching to. Okay? And so we've got to realize every time we enter into the sexual cycle, we're going to have the release of all of these hormones, and the last one is going to be oxytocin or vasopressin. And it's going to cause me to attach. Okay, 
Now we start understanding, right, why covenant is so, so important and why nakedness is so, so important. Because if we misuse our nakedness and we go outside of covenant, we are going to land up having orgasm with things or people or sects. Sects? Can we say sects anyway? Okay. Or porn. Because now it isn't just because it's a nice spiritual thing of a soul tie. We actually have a hormone being released that does it. Okay. So now this gives us a good reason to not do it. But that's why I need Jonathan. Because there are going to be times when I really feel like it. And I need to be able to phone Jonathan and say, Amen, my belt is slipping. Okay, can you help me? All right. So that is the important thing about the sexual cycle. The next thing we're going to look at is sexual frequency. Okay, generally... Men want sex twice a week, okay? Generally, women want sex twice a month. Okay, no, that's not true. Okay, generally, men want orgasm twice a week, and women only need orgasm twice a month because then they have multiple orgasm. Did you know that? Anyway, you've learned something. Okay, so why am I telling you this? Because in terms of our sexuality as single people, if we are finding ourselves meditating and thinking constantly around sexual things and then going and masturbating, right? We're making connections. And if it's more than twice a week for a guy, well, I think it's too much already, and if it's more than twice a month for a woman because she's going to orgasm more than once when she does, then we have a problem. Okay? So now the big question is, who's going to ask it? How many times can I masturbate? Okay, so now we've got to get to the point of what is masturbation and is that okay? Is it okay? Oh, nobody's willing to answer. Okay? There's no place in the Bible, and this is a curse and a blessing, that it speaks about masturbation. All right? But now we know, oopsie daisies, that every time masturbation occurs, there's going to be attachment. All right? So we understand that there's a problem with masturbation, okay? Now, is masturbation demonic? Is it evil? No, it's not, all right? Again, in the Bible, it doesn't say it, all right? But we've got to be aware that if masturbation is happening so often that it's consuming our life, then there's a problem, okay? So now, Masturbation has been one of the, the, the biggest issues that has divided congregations and whole churches, okay? And this is like from, 
in memorial, okay? And so we need to actually understand about masturbation. It's normally the result of exploration. And so for me, if masturbation happens and it's purely exploratory, and it makes me aware of the fact that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, hallelujah. Okay? But, unfortunately, we live in a very sexualized world. So how often can we masturbate and not think about a picture, a series, um, maybe porn, whatever it is, and not get attached? In the past, people said that if you masturbate, you'll lose your sight, you'll grow hair on your hands, okay? There were lots of things that people said, and actually in the 1700s, you'd go to an asylum, a mental asylum, because they said that you were going mad, okay? And that is completely wrong. That is sad, very, very sad. Fact of the matter is, it's going to happen, okay? It used to only be a male thing. It was always said, you know, that 95% of men will say they masturbate and five are lying, okay? But now it's actually a female issue. 60% of females now are masturbating, and it's a, it's a reality, okay? So we've got to start understanding that this is part of life. It's not a curse. It's not demonic. But... We need to know what we are attaching to. And we need to deal with those attachments. And we've got to keep short lists of debts. <laughs> want of a better word. And we have to have our David and our Jonathans, or our Esther and her eunuchs. I don't know. I don't know. I can't think of a, a lady alternative. All right. But ladies, you need to have a Jonathan kind person in your life. So that when these things happen, you can actually deal with it. Okay, now, the majority of the time, masturbation occurs because we sexualize emotions. That's a whole nother thing, and I really think it would be good for you to do our Fearful and Wonderful Sexuality Workshop, because then you'll be able to understand how we sexualize emotions and how we can break that. Because so often... We actually feel we are overwhelmed by something and we have learned that the world says what you do when you are overwhelmed is you become sexual. Okay, if you can't have it with somebody, then you go and masturbate. And we've got to work out our emotions. I can't do that tonight. Okay, I hope this is helping. All right, I hope it's answering some of your questions. And this is what I really want to get to, and this is the last thing, so I'm sorry we've taken a long time, but I hope it's helped you. And this is the dating 12 components of courtship, all right? So we have noticing attraction, flirtation, demonstration, romance, individuation, intimacy, touching, foreplay, intercourse, commitment, and renewal. So if you are not married, where do you think you need to stop? Come on. Yeah, I like that face. <laughs> oh, then those parents need a good clap. 
But seriously, seriously, you've got to realize this. Okay, where, where, where is it safe as a single person to, to stop? Okay? Okay, what do you think? Romance. Romance. Is it wrong to romance if you're single? No. Okay. Is it, hmm? Oh, individuation. That's a good one. Okay. Individuation is because, remember, romance is linked to adrenaline. Okay, and adrenaline causes everybody to get so intertwined, press the convostic. Okay, so if you stay in romance, oh my word, you become one. And you're going to die if you stay there. So there actually needs to be a time after romance where people separate and they become individuals. And they start realizing, you know, I don't really like that about her. <laughs> I don't really like that about him. You know, and they start realizing, but I like this. But they don't like that I like this. Okay? So what tends to happen in dating relationships, they get to individuation and they think, oh, we've fallen out of love. Oh, the end. Okay? Instead of realizing that actually when you individuate and you find out about yourself, you have more to give. Oh, I like that. You have more to give, okay? Because then you can actually be yourself. You're not trying to change yourself for your partner. And then you go into intimacy, and intimacy is knowing and being known. It doesn't mean sex. Intimacy is knowing and being known. Because you've indiv individuated, you can know your partner better for who they really are, not because they're just trying to make you feel good. And they can know you better. All right? Okay. So, do you think intimacy is okay? Individuation, okay. Yes. I know. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> Woo. Woo. Okay, I'm not doing there now. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. Okay, 8A, 8B, 8C, 8 whatever. Okay. Yes, you're so clever. Man, you're so clever. Okay, so is it okay to notice somebody? Yes. Is it okay to be attracted to somebody? Is there anybody here that doesn't want to be attractive? You don't want to be attractive? Okay. We will pray for you, brother. Okay. There's a tank there, I think. We keep you under until you say, I want to be attractive. Okay, everybody actually wants to be noticed. It's the deepest thing in our being. We want to be noticed. Therefore, we want to be attractive and beautiful. It's one of the basic longings of our human heart. Okay, so attraction is okay. Flirtation, woo! Okay, yeah! Okay, and you know what the biggest problem is? That if you don't flirt, then you don't know if somebody else is flirting with you, and then you could really be up a boom. <laughs> Seriously. And you know, I've had to meet with some people who've said, come from this thing you can't date, and I don't know how to flirt. Okay? Because I really want to, Paul's got this class on flirting. Okay. <laughs> All right. So once you've flirted and it's all marvelous, okay, because he does it so well with Malign. You know that. It's incredible. Okay, and then, so once we've gone to flirtation, then we get to demonstration. Okay, 
I see I like her and she's responding, so I'm going to buy her a rose. Oh, okay. I'll buy him a chocolate. Okay, whatever. Okay. <laughs> Demonstration. Then there's romance. We're going to go out. We're going to enjoy a meal together. All right. Or we're going to um, have, okay, go to a movie. But you've told Jonathan. Got it? Told Jonathan. So that you can be kept accountable. Once you've had romance, okay, then you're going to individuate. You're going to be falling out of love. Okay, you know what? Sometimes that's fine. Move on. Move on. Okay? You, you, you're not stuck together until you're married and you have the ring. Okay? So, really, we don't have to worry about these things. Then we go to intimacy. Then we go to touching. Okay, so touching is the biggest deal here. Okay? Five different kinds of touch. Functional touch. Okay, functional touch. All right, my wife is 12% vision. When I walk with her, she holds my arm, and it's not sexual at all. Okay, I do not feel any flutters. Okay, it's stopping somebody from falling in a hole or whatever it is. Okay, it's functional. All right, then we have rehabilitative touch that's going to the physioterrorist. Okay, okay. That's rehabilitative touch. Then we have caring touch. Oh, I'm so sorry. You'll be okay. All right, doctors, okay, nurses. Right, we need to express caring touch. All right. Um, unfortunately, we live in a world where, it, where too much is being misread in caring touch. Okay, and, and that is really, really sad. Okay, because it's now being told that if it's caring, it's actually sexual. And we've got to redeem that somehow, and I'm not sure how. Okay, so we've got caring touch. Then we have sensual touch. Okay, when my wife goes like this. Oh. Okay, gaga, gaga. Okay, nothing wrong with sensual touch. Okay, it's absolutely fine. It's not causing blood to flow to different parts of your body and going whoop and whatever. Okay, sensual touch is just... Ah, oh, it's so refreshing and nice, and, and afterwards I feel just filled up, okay? But there's a very fine line between sensual touch and erotic touch. Erotic touch is for the express purpose for blood to move to your genitals, okay? And then obviously sexual touch is because you're going to have sex, Okay? So as a single person, we need to understand when sensual touch moves from sensual to erotic. Okay. And you know what? You can do that on yourself. <laughs> Paul said, learn about your bodies. Yeah, I know that sounds really weird, guys. It really does. I know that. But you've got to know which part of your body is so sensitive that it causes things to happen. And I'm being serious. We need to know that. So that when you are with somebody, you know when to stop. Okay? We as, we as believers need to have a yes that is a yes and a no that is a no. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve did not hear God's yes and no. Look where it left them and where it leaves us today. Okay? 
And we've got to find out where that yes is and where that no is. And we've got to have a Jonathan that helps us make sure that it's actually a good space. And then we need a Jonathan to say, did you say no? And if you said no, did the other one actually honor your no? And that's where your Jonathan didn't go and give them a good clap. I'm being serious. One of the biggest issues in sexology is the issue of consent. Okay? If you do not know your no and your yes, you can't expect anybody to actually honor you. All right? And it gets to the point that when there is consent given, sex can happen. And then there are a whole lot of court cases where it's just about the fact, was consent given or not? And we've got to know our bodies because we have engorgements that go on and happen and it sends a sign to the other person and they think it's a yes. And we've got to understand that no, when that happens, I'm going to say no because my Jonathan's going to clap me as well. Okay? And it's going to protect you. It's keeping the covenant. All right. So in summary, guys, and I'm sorry I've taken so long. In summary, we need to keep our nakedness very, very holy and precious. Okay? We've got to be sure that we don't allow people to touch our special parts so that we get to a point of going into sexual touch that becomes dangerous. We need to understand that there is a sexual cycle. We need to understand that as a single person, right, before I'm married, and that's even if you're dating, you are going to have sexual feelings, you're going to have erotic feelings, you're going to have arousal that occurs that may end in masturbation and that needs to be spoken about with the Jonathan, right? And when you speak about it, yeah, maybe it's a club, but it's also breaking a soul tie because it's not only happening physically now, it's happening in the spirit, okay? And that's why I didn't show you all the stuff about the tabernacle because worship, sex is actually worship. It's very spiritual. Remember we spoke about all of Aphrodite's prostitutes. They know that sex is very spiritual. Okay. So I hope that helps you to understand how you can engage singleness. You can enjoy, you can enjoy, go back. You can enjoy up to eight, eight C. Okay, A, B, C, D, E. Okay, and that's eight central. And then you've got to work out when is central going to erotic. And I really want to encourage you to encourage your friends to enjoy those things. And I want to ask you, maybe even tonight, to make a decision on who your Jonathan is going to be. Okay? That's not a... That's not a, a a negotiable, all right? We need each other and we need godly help.
in this process. So, Father God, I want to thank you for every person here. I want to thank you, Lord, that you've made us incredibly beautifully and wonderfully made. I thank you, Father God, that singleness is an incredible gift to the world and to the body of Christ. I thank you, Lord, that there is no need for us to have to rush from singleness into marriage. And Father, I want to ask that you'll come with your Holy Spirit and that you would soothe anybody that lives in guilt, that lives in deep disappointment as a result of having to be single and believing that the only way you're going to be fulfilled one day is if you're married. Lord, I ask that you would break that off us here now in Jesus' name. But Lord, I ask that you'll also release Jonathan's to David's. That, Father, you will create these relationships that can carry authority, that can make sure the belts are up in place and that the, that, that the gifts and the weapons are being used wisely. And, Father, I ask a blessing on every person here now when it comes to their sexuality. I pray that you'd remove guilt and shame even around masturbation. I pray, Father God, that where pornography is an issue, that start helping them to start understanding why they need it instead of just being guilty and saying, well, at least I've lasted a day. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would even come into their hearts now and help them to see the pain that they are covering with pornography and masturbation. Lord, I thank you that this is not shameful to you. This is not stuff that, that you run away from or you turn from and say it's all demonic. You created us with these urges, with these capacities. And Lord, I ask that you would move in us and that we would celebrate what you made and live in joy. So bless each one now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.